0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Father's Day to all the dads out there and uh, we celebrate you and um, my name is Richard and uh, it's great to have you joining us uh, for our live stream service and um, to my every nation family it's always great to be with you and uh, yeah just want to say a shout out to Lucas and Karina congratulations it's really exciting news and uh, first Father's Day for him Um, and so we're uh, ironically coming to the end of season one of our unstoppable series so i guess things are stoppable but we've been in a in a book of acts uh for the last uh this will be the 11th eleventh uh, Sunday, and uh, we're going to take a pause and, and do something different over the summer and then maybe return to the book of Acts later on. Uh, but we have been seeing the growth of the early church as Jesus began this new radical movement of people following Him as He left them, but then gave them His Holy Spirit and empowered them to continue His ministry, His message. Um, And his mission we've been seeing that unfold and just incredible things that we've been seeing and now we begin to see a bit the rise of some pushback to that some opposition persecution and today's story is about actually the first christian martyr the first witness of jesus that dies for their faith for following jesus and what can that tell us what can that encourage us today and so um, we're not looking at acts in a nostalgic way. Oh, wow, wasn't that an amazing time? Wow, good for them. It's kind of like, wow, wasn't that an amazing time? And could God do these things again and greater things? And we're crying and hungering for that in our hearts as a as individuals and as a church community. And so before we get into today's um, passage, uh, I want to tell you about, t- uh, it was the year 2000. It was in my final year of university. And uh, there was a... Um, A college ministry in the States that began to do these things called one days, called passion, passion events, one day, Louis Giglio, Chris Tomlin, if those names mean anything to you people out there. And they would literally go out into a a wide open space, a farmland or whatever, and would just set up a stage and have these one day events that thousands and thousands of university, college and 20 somethings would go to. Just cry out to God and, and worship and have powerful speakers. And, uh, there was a speaker there, uh, a guy called, pastor called John Piper. Um, some of you may know that name. And, um, he delivered what's become, um, a famous, uh, sermon. You can actually YouTube it. It's, it's the famous Piper, YouTube Piper Shell Collection. And, uh, he, it left a mark on a generation, left a mark on me. Um, it resulted in, you know, uh, a book came out called Don't Waste Your Life. And uh, I think Lecrae sang a rap in, in homage to that message. It really impacted um, when I was 20-something and a lot of my peers. And uh, what the what the analogy he used, what made this so famous was he got up and he spoke. He says, a couple of weeks ago in my church, we heard the news of Ruby and Laura, Ruby and Laura were retired nurses. They were in their 80s and they were serving in Cameroon and their car, car's brakes had failed and they'd gone over the cliff and they'd plunged to their death. And he asked his church, is this a tragedy? Is this a tragedy? And then he goes into this and I'm going to read this is what he says. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest. I know we're dating ourselves here. (laughs) Which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your Creator be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shell collection. This is a tragedy, and people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over and against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. And so there, Google it. I mean, Piper does it in only as the way that John Piper can, if you've been familiar with his his uh, ministry. And uh, it really left a mark on a generation of how there are competing narratives. And there's a maybe there's an image in, on your screen right now of of that. It's it's blurry because you know twenty years ago we <laughs> those were our cameras, I guess doesn't feel that long ago, but I guess it was a lifetime away. And uh, and it left a mark. And, and, and here's the things, don't waste your life. And, and we can live our lives according to these narratives, these very powerful, compelling narratives. This is a good life. This is a successful life. This is how to spend your life. This is what's uh, success in life means. And so let's turn now to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read, it's a long account, so I'm not going to read it all, but we're going to be looking at Stephen. And uh, Acts chapter 6 tells us a little bit about Stephen, and then we're going to jump to the end of what happens to him and how he spends the last few minutes uh, of his life. So we're going to read a little passage from Acts chapter 6, verse 7 through to chapter 7, and it says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Incredible favor, even despite some of the opposition that's now growing, God's mission and ministry continues to move ahead. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called in the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, Rose up and disputed with Stephen. So what they were freedmen is they were former slaves, and they were Jews, but now they had set up their own synagogues. and Stephen was a Greek-speaking Jew, so the Hellenists, that's what they call. He was a Greek-speaking Jew, and he obviously was speaking a lot and into engaging with him, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, "We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God." And then Stephen began to deliver a pretty lengthy speech, a pretty lengthy speech in which he recounts the history of Israel through Abraham and Joseph and Moses, the shared narrative and story that all Jews were very familiar of, except for him, he brought in the aspect of Jesus. And his indictment to them was that you've missed it. You've resisted and rejected, like your fathers resisted and rejected through the prophets all the, all along what, G, what God was doing and ultimately realizing with Jesus. What I love about Stephen, and what I love about why we have Stephen as an example, because Stephen's not an apostle. The apostles are doing some great things, but Stephen He's just a leader, not just a leader. He's an incredible leader. He's full of power and wisdom and faith, but he's an ordinary guy in the congregation. And it says that God's hands upon him and His wisdom, and He's 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 engaging these Jewish people, and He's He's getting into trouble because He's 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 saying everything's realized in Jesus. This temple, don't make an idol of this temple. God's bigger than this temple. You know, you can never build a house that could house God. God's everywhere, and and so that's what He's doing. So now I'll jump over to the end of his speech as he's gotten through all the history jump over to the end of his speech join me in, Ch- in Acts chapter 7 verse 51 and we'll read the last part of his speech and see how it goes for him you stiff-necked people <laughs> uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the Holy Spirit I mean to call a Jewish person uncircumcised in their heart and ears is the most inf- offensive thing it's basically it's like you you're you're not safe you're not the covenanted people of God, you're, you're, you outwardly you might have everything going, but inside you're cut off from God. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. You're resisting God. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. I mean, what an altar call. What a a call at the end of his message, like, listen, you need to get right with God. Um, And so how they respond, verse 54 says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Is this a tragedy? Is this a tragedy? and if you 've seen some parallels to how Jesus was falsely accused, falsely arrested, and he himself also was um, at the hands of an angry mob, those parallels I think are meant to be there for us to remember and even as stephen's dying he 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 does some very Jesus things in that and so Stephen is the first Christian martyr, and Jesus had said something powerful in Acts one verse eight when we started out this series he said to his disciples, and all those who would want to follow him, he says, you will be my witnesses. And the Greek word for witnesses, martes, is just where we get the word martyr. And so what a martyr is, is a witness to Jesus who pays the ultimate price, the cost of their life. So when we hear about martyrdom and persecution, it can be very disorientating for us in the West because we're just not really exposed to that. It's not a case that It's not like we're having to say, "Hey, am I prepared to die for Jesus?" and and that's that's okay. We live in a country, we live in a place with incredible religious freedom, but let's uh, remember that that is not the case right now in our world. There's persecution today, and so our dilemma, persecution today, and our dilemma is that we can forget the cost that many people, many of our brothers and sisters, have to. Uh, consider as they follow Jesus faithfully. I came across the the title uh, of an article called The Worst Time for Christian Persecution in Human History. You know what the date of that article was? It was 2018. The Worst Time for Christian Persecution in Human History. Uh, here's an image of the top 50 countries where um, there's a um, moderate to intense persecution. The the darker the red, the more intense persecution. And uh, according to David Curry, CEO of Open Doors, persecution looks very different in every country, but it basically can be divided into two frameworks. He calls it the smash or the squeeze. And the smash is just outright violence, often sometimes leading to death, to, to people persecuting them, in this case, particularly for their Christian faith. But it as this persecution to other religions as well. Let's remember that, and then the squeeze where governments and culture just made it incredibly difficult for you to to follow Jesus. And so, I want to remind us as we do sit in the liberties of the West, as we do sit in relative comfort to worship Jesus, to to practice what we uh, the way of Jesus. It's not the same everywhere in the world, and and part of our responsibility is to remember that. But the question isn't so much, are you prepared to die for Jesus? For us in the West, the question is, are we prepared to live well for Jesus? Are we prepared to live well for Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus like he called his disciples, like he calls you and I to do? One of the other articles I read um, and and they said in this decade, one of the most unusual. I've been reading a lot about death this week. So it's been an interesting week for me, um, as in preparation for this message. Um, but one of the one of the rises of, the, of um, unique ways people die is called death by selfie. In the last few years, there's been an alarming increase of people tragically dying uh, by trying to capture that ultimate shot. Um, in fact. Uh, one image of a young man, a Chinese man, um, who is renowned for pictures like this. Crazy, right? Um, Tragically lost his life to death by selfie. It's called the vanity shot in many cases. It's trying to get that shot that, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to impose a motive on all these people, but some, a lot of times the vanity shot is so that you can get a shot that's well-recognized, that goes viral on social media, whatever the motive might be, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy of a life that's really self-absorbed, that would literally lose life. What for? For what? For my own brand to to be uh, extended. And so um, this quote is quite sobering from William Irvine in his book, A Guide to the Good Life. He says, there is a danger that you will mislive there is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various bubbles life has to offer. The Earlier this year, uh, I, I'm part of a chaplaincy at the University of Toronto, the St. George Cap. Campus, and for many years, I'm kind of new to the party. But for many years, they, in conjunction with the life sciences faculty, have put on a, a dying and death symposium. And what that is, it's training. It's it's a, it's a it's a time where they get they open it up to the life sciences student students who are going to go into the medical profession, who are going to deal with a lot of sick people and death. And they're trying to get them to look at it, not just from a physical, medical point of view, but all the other dimensions that happens when someone's dying. It's called a dying and death. It's it's a hugely popular event. Some hundreds of students go through it and... um they have various speakers, and then we have we we facilitate these breakouts, and we do a case study. and How would you handle someone who's having a crisis? But this quote from one of the speakers, I can't remember who, so uh, apologies, but I, I don't want to plagiarize; it's not mine. Um, this stroke, this quote struck me. It says, "Oftentimes, when someone's dying, it, it, it brings us an existential crisis. Right? They're on that deathbed." Um, and they're be looking at their life and they're obviously seeing their time is cut short and you begin to look at your life, and I guess you begin to look at your life and what was all about. And this is this is the this is this is the question he says a lot of people have what do you do when the story you've been telling yourself about yourself and life is no longer sufficient? What do you do at the end of their life when you've been told, hey, retire early, buy the boat, collect shells, that's the good life? What do you do when you're in that moment you realize I've wasted my life? What do you do when you have that existential crisis, and so the better we think about death, the better we're going to live and invest this life. I know no one I know you didn't you didn't wake up to hear about death, right? maybe that's a Monday morning thing, no, but the better that we think about the one thing that we are absolutely certain. Every single one of us will face death, hopefully after a long and well invested life, but we will all face death. The better we think about that moment now, the better we're not going to waste our lives right now. The better that we're going to live according to a better story. That we don't have to have an existential crisis at the end of our lives, that we invest our lives. Why? It's because we've lived in a better story. We've lived in a better story. And it's a story that's not. And there's competing stories. You know, John Steinbeck, American author, he has a great quote, says, No story has power, nor will it last, unless we feel in ourselves that it is true and true of us. You know, what is it? What makes a great novel? What makes a great movie is that they engage you and draw you into the narrative, draw you into the story. And the more that you can see yourself or your experience fit with that story, the more believable that narrative is, the more believable that story is. So when we're talking about story, don't, don't be thinking like a little children's thing. We, we are all living according to a story, a narrative, a script, however you want to phrase it. Every single one of us is lived, whether consciously or subconsciously. Right now, we are in a story. The question is, is it a good story? The question is, is it a story that's going to invest your life in worthy things? Or is it a story that's going to be wasted, at least in the eyes of God? A better story. God invites you and I into a better story. Uh, Last weekend, I was watching... um, A great movie with my kids, Raya and the Last Dragon. It's a great kids' movie. And and now you know it's 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 an animation movie but it's it's a story that's been told in a thousand different ways whether it's a kid's story or an adult story and it's a story of redemption it's a story of a world that was once beautiful and in harmony in this case humans and dragons and then an evil force came in and disrupted that and all the dragons but one were killed in, in attempts to rescue the world and how there uh, the search for this last dragon to what restore The harmony and the beauty of the world had gone and restore back and to drive away evil. That is the story that's told in many different ways, and, and there's always this redemptive theme in movies that's captured people, a a sacrificial act, sometimes of someone laying down their lives. Why is that theme, why is that narrative so powerful? Because it's the narrative we find ourselves in, in God's story, that there is a great world that God created, a great universe, a good world, and evil came in, and sin came in, and it's disrupted and fractured that, and we long for that to be restored, and Jesus, God himself, comes in the person of Jesus to do that, and now we await for the fullness of that to be realized so what about you what story are you in and how do you know what story you're in well what is success to you what is a successful life say you're granted the gift of being on a deathbed um one day and you're able to look back what will be a successful life for you what will be for what will be have been a fulfilling life for you what regrets do you want to avoid that begins to tell you what story you've bought into uh these narratives, these stories, these scripts, they're competing, and there's, they're on multi-levels. Your family probably has a narrative. This is what the kids are about. This is who the kidges are. Sometimes uh, families have a very powerful story such that you feel trapped, maybe. There's expectations on how you to live your life, and, and maybe sometimes we feel trapped in that. Cultures have stories. Uh, nations have stories. One of the most compelling narratives is the American dream. That's a story. That's a narrative to live your life. A story tells you the way the world works, how you should act and engage with that world, your place in it, and how to interpret it. You know, in Canada, a a powerful narrative for us is tolerance and inclusivity. Right now, an incredibly strong narrative for particularly younger people is what's called expressive individualism. And it's in reaction to a mistrust of external authorities. And so what is, okay, you need to do a deep dive, not outside, inside. Go inside and choose your identity or find your identity or discover your identity. And once you've done that, come out and tell everyone. And woe to anyone who questions that. Woe to anyone who doesn't affirm and celebrate that. And so that's a narrative to live by. That's a narrative to... Um, to make sense of the world. And so these are competing narratives that unless you and I are are, uh, awakened to them, we can live our lives. We can mislive as uh, William Irvine said in his, in his quote. So what story are you in? You know, for me, I find the story of scripture quite compelling. I find the unfolding narrative uh, of scripture quite compelling because I think it gives a brutal, uh, uh, honest assessment of reality, I feel like scripture does that really well. It tells us very real and honestly uh, about reality and what's wrong with reality and what can bring uh, about a restoration of of reality. I find that scripture, the story, the narrative that God's telling, it provides meaning and hope in a very broken world. So it's not all despair. Um, And it's a story by which I make sense of my life. I find my story fits within that narrative. And so Stephen, as we wrap this up, as we come to Stephen, how does this connect back to Stephen? Well, in dying, well, Stephen really shows us how to live well. That this is not a tragedy. When, when Maybe it's a tragedy to see the rage and the hatred of a people such that, that they feel like they are doing God a service by snuffing out his life. We see that he's lived a good story. He's lived a, a well-lived life. And so Stephen's story, first he tells us, Stephen tells a better story. Why? By reorienting it. And he's he's telling a very familiar story that the nation of Israel, but what does he do is he reorients it around Jesus. And so here's the great news for you now. Whatever story your life has been this far, however good or broken or bad it's been, it always has the possibility to be reoriented around Jesus, that Jesus can reframe your story. And that's what That's what the story of Scripture tells us about, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus is able to reframe and reorient all of us, all of our stories, if we'll hand over our stories to him. And that's what Stephen does. He tells a better story by redirecting it and saying, hey, your story is good, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete without Jesus. And so he does that. Second thing is he doesn't just tell us. It's one thing to tell and believe. It's one thing to believe uh, God's got a better story for us. It's one thing to read this and say, wow, that does make sense. Yeah, that's a coherent way of looking at the world. It's, 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 it's reasonable. It's good. It's honest. It's an entirely different thing to live that out, to immerse yourself in that story, to become a character within God's story, not just a spectator. And so Stephen t- lives a better story by how, by apprenticing Jesus. Think about it. In in the final moments of his life, in in when the pressure is on the most, you know, oftentimes when we have those pressurized moments, what really is in us comes out, and you think about Stephen, like, I mean, literally a mob. A mob is about it's owning him. And he's not cursing them, he's not cursing God, he's not throwing and picking up stones. What is he doing? He's doing something very similar to Jesus. In fact, he even prays incredibly similar words to what Jesus said when Jesus was on the cross and in his final moments, God, I commit myself to you. He's not just doing that in a moment. That's been his story. That's As he's followed Jesus, as he's apprenticed Jesus, as he's reoriented his life around Jesus, he's lived a life of submitting to Jesus. This is just another day to submit to Jesus, albeit a very dramatic day, right? Of course. But he's doing that. And then the second thing is, what is he doing? He's praying for forgiveness for the very people that are murdering him. I mean, that's, that's honestly living a way better story. It's not eye-for-eye eye kind of thing. It's a totally different spirit. Where did he get that from? I'm pretty sure the words of Jesus on the cross were going like wildfire around. They didn't have the Bible yet. They didn't have the Gospels you and I read, but they were. I was there, John. I heard him say this. He was praying for the forgiveness of people. Wow. We should probably do the same if we're going to follow Jesus. And so he lives a better story by apprenticing, following Jesus. Listen, anyone can say they're a Christian, but it takes guts to actually follow Jesus. It takes courage to actually follow Jesus. It, it takes a counting of the cost to follow Jesus. We may not be in a position in, 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 in the world where maybe we seriously need to count the cost of losing our lives. But we should no less have that mentality that we to live for Jesus every day and part of living for Jesus is dying to self. I mean, I love the song that, we, that was chosen at the beginning, the one that would lead me to the cross. I think we were singing in the chorus. That's awesome. Lead me to the cross. What do you do at a cross? you got a cross to die. It's like, lead me to the cross, right? Yeah, because in that is freedom. In that is life. That's the story God is telling us. That's the narrative. And then lastly, Stephen dies for a better story by being faithful to Jesus. Faithful to Jesus right until the end. The church father, Tertullian, said this. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What was the impact of Stephen's death? Stephen never got to see the impact of his death. He faithfully followed Jesus. But it says there was a young man named Saul. You're going to come to know him as Paul. He's going to write the majority of your New Testament. And uh, the seed of Saul's conversion was planted in him seeing how Stephen handled suffering. And so the lesson for you and I is like being faithful to Jesus. Sometimes we will never fully realize the seeds that get sown by our lives as we faithfully follow Jesus. As we don't sell out that we're not a unashamed of him, the seeds that get planted in other people that we may or may not see the fruit of, but we're called to be faithful followers of Jesus, regardless of whether we see that or not. And so Stephen had no idea the ripple effect that his martyrdom was going to have on a a young Saul, Paul, and the church. The church is going to be scattered because of Stephen's, the persecution out of that, but in scattering, the gospel is going to go forward in a way. and, And it's always what Jesus said. In Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and this is this is happening. And so, sometimes we look at suffering, and we say that's so bad, it's so terrible. But God redemptively can use suffering uh, for our good and His glory in a great way. And so, G- uh, Stephen dies for a better story by being faithful to Jesus. Think about this. Think about the 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 worst of sin, of sickness, of evil, of injustice, and even death being thrown how very real that is, but it's never ultimate. It's never ultimate in God's story. I love how they talk about it. Jesus is stone and They say, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. That's a different narrative to death, right? That's a different story. For me, that's a better story, fall asleep, because this is what the Apostles' Creed teaches us. It teaches us, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In God's story, that's ultimate. Worst thing they can do to you, die. Okay, great. You fall asleep. Got a resurrection coming. And so that's a better story. That's a better story. And to invest our lives, not in collecting shells, not anti-retirement, but to invest our lives in being faithful to Jesus is a better story than a shell collection. Don't waste your life on a lesser story. Don't waste your life on a lesser story. It's like your life. we It's like a prepaid card, right? We all are coming to this life and we have a balance on that prepaid card called time. But here's the thing is we never know how much balance is left. But every day we are tapping that card called life. Don't waste your life on a lesser story. We can waste our life by investing in religious activity that resists and actually ultimately rejects God. Or we can re- have a non-religious life that rejects and ignores God, but don't waste your life rejecting or resisting God's invitation to you. Um, Out of that message, uh, John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life, and here's a quote from it. He says, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know the few great things that matter, perhaps just one, and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing. I heard this week uh, a phrase that really struck me, it says, Christianity makes a terrible hobby. Isn't that true? Christianity makes a terrible hobby, but it makes a fantastic story, a narrative to live your life by, to reorient your life by. I've got to give the last word to Jesus, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. This is the story. This is the narrative Jesus invites you and I into. And it sounds very counterintuitive. doesn't sound very glamorous, but in it is true freedom and true flourishing, really. That is his heart's desire for every single one of us. He says this, and calling the crowd to him, With His disciples. This is to the crowd. It's not just as sometimes we think these messages are just for some super elite people called disciples or apostles. No, this is to the crowd. He says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And forfeit his soul. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, there have been hundreds and thousands of brothers and sisters who have willfully gone to their death being faithful followers of Jesus. For us here, will we faithfully live for Jesus? Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.